I'm so late. Yesterday I sat at a pub instead of walking about flyering and just handed it to people. <laughs> walked by, I was like, come see this. <laughs> Did any of them turn up? I had 10 people. Oh my God, on day one. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, well, apparently, I've written like a lot of shows got pulled yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got pulled yesterday. Yes, thank you. Yes, yeah. Welcome to It Just So Happened. Thank you. I am Richard Pulsford, stand-up comedian and rather unprofessional historian. In this show, recorded for the It Just So Happened podcast, we will explore some of the historical people associated with and events which happened on this very day in history, which is the 5th of August. That's before we delve into some of the history of the place where today's show is taking place. So, where are we? It's where Sir Sean Connery worked on a milk round where Harry Potter was conceived, and a place renowned for its smell, once being known as Old Reeky. Yes, it's Edinburgh! <laughs> we are performing the show in the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, the largest arts festival in the world, and probably the largest Covid spreader in the world as well, but that's <laughs> another thing. And our venue this afternoon is the space at Surgeons Hall, the headquarters of the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh, with its own museum, library and archive designed by William Henry Playfair and completed in 1832, it's one of the many Category A-listed buildings in the city. During the Fringe, the space venue hosts four performance spaces and about 100 different shows. And we have an audience in the museum with us today, as the Fringe welcomes audiences of up to 400,000 people each year, so we welcome about one one-hundred-thousandth of that number to this show. What's drawn in such huge numbers? Well, let me introduce today's panel. Welcome, please, B. Babylons, Louise Lee and Rasheen Kenny. Hello. Hi. Oh, don't welcome them. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, let's, let's just keep it informal. Yes. Um, so very, very brief introductions from what I could glean from the internet and other sources. So B is originally from Iceland, but yep. is now a resident of Edinburgh. They uh, were third placed in last year's Scottish Comedian of the Year competition. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Louise Lee is a stand-up comedian and a certified potato roger. Roger. Roger, yes. sorry, I just copied that from your notes. I didn't <laughs> know what that meant. Her show is Louise Lee Amused at Just the Tonic at the Caves, the wee one, 11, uh, 12, 10 every day and 15th. No, it's set the 15th and 23rd. And Rasheen Kenny is a stand-up comedian as well, a Funny Women one to watch in 2021, and has appeared on BBC's The Social. Rasheen's performing a split bill show at Edinburgh Fringe called Laughter O'Clock at the Pilgrim Bell. I should get you guys to say this, shouldn't I? Because well, <laughs> that's okay. My so straight over to you, B, for your piece. Thank for you. my piece. Yes. Uh, well, I am not a historian. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to start with that. I uh, struggled a bit with this, because I'm doing a Fringe show that's called Once Upon a Time in Iceland. Uh, and I w wanted this want to find something interesting that happened on this day in Iceland, and uh, I found out that a bishop named Brynjolfur Sveinsson did indeed die on this day <laughs> in 1675. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. No, I didn't either. Well. This yeah. isn't common knowledge. Brynjolfur Sveinsson, remember the name, people. Uh, he. I, I am fascinated with the bishops and priests from this era because 
like we all know like the history of Iceland how like the Vikings settled there and they were on this glorious rampage you know kidnapping and burning and raping this was when rape was legal for everyone not just rich white men <laughs> <laughs> but a fact that we don't really talk about is that Iceland wasn't it wasn't colonized by these kind of cool Vikings that we see on TV they were like Norwegian Vikings they were kind of shit you know there were dudes that everyone hated in Norway and they were basically exiled so they went from Norway they stopped over here in Ireland kidnapped some women brought them to Iceland it basically Norwegian incels <laughs> colonized Iceland uh, and this period is my favorite the, when this bishop dies in the 1675 that kind of period because it's a period that we don't really talk about and like people don't really know anything that we kind of keep it on the down low because it wasn't a good time mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of like volcanic eruptions have you guys heard of the potato famine mm -hmm. that was us Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like people think the financial crisis was a shit time. Uh, we've been fucking up Europe. <laughs> the volcanoes, you know, and there had been loads of plagues and stuff. And this bishop, uh, who I, I admit I did not know existed until yesterday, uh, he did not want to be a bishop. He had gone to so everyone went to Denmark to study to become a priest you know they learned Latin and all the priesty because the population in Iceland at the time was like 30,000 people maybe uh, and he came back to Iceland for a visit and the bishop had died from the plague one of them so they made him bishop and he fought it for a few months and they kind of just forced him into it <laughs> and the poor guy had to be bishop for 35 years and he was probably happy to die I mean yeah, that's my interesting fact <laughs> that I brought. Thank you very much. <laughs> to the today. Remember that name. <laughs> so I'm going to do a segue in between the, the acts. So I've got some questions for the panel, so you can read the answers if you want off the laptop. But oh no, I'm not in um, these glasses now. Um, so first question. Which ship left Southampton on this day in 1620, transporting pilgrims to the New World? Oh, the, the Mayflower. 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 Something a bit more Well, they just turned left instead of right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 Scottish Scottish round. They didn't have longitude yeah. by then, did they? So they came round in a, corn, in a circle. Well, like. Yeah, Speedwell developed a leak and it had, <laughs> it had to be refitted at Dartmouth. And after further leaks or possibly sabotage, Mayflower made the 60 day crossing alone. Were they in competition? It wasn't. It should have been like a race, shouldn't it? Yeah, who could yeah, get yeah, first? Yeah, yeah. It's the same the sabotage. I think, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. So Plymouth, where they left from, is in in Devon. Southampton, Southampton where they left from. Southampton, where mm. they left from, is in. And I thought Plymouth Rock, though, is, that is named after them where they landed. Well, mm, Speedwell was refitted at Dartmouth, so which is about more nine miles from Plymouth. Yeah, yeah. didn't get very far. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> like I feel like they could have checked that stuff out before they left. It's like when you when you tie something to the roof rack and you yes. and you know like you're like husband, why are we stopping on the M5? 
Um, when we could have done this driving round the block, are you new? <laughs> are you okay? <laughs> <They're> projecting <laughs> a bit. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> Sounds like a family event. <laughs> so there's a painting called The Embarkation of the Pilgrims by Robert Walter Weir. It was commissioned by the United States Congress and depicts the pilgrims on board Speedwell while harboured in Delft, Holland, so even more complicated. Even further east. So this is depicted on what? Mm, yeah, the wrong way. Well, it's so like. the wrong way. <laughs> if you just looked at the map at the beginning of the journey, husband. <laughs> I think we've uncovered Sorry. something here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they just, just went to Amsterdam and they just, just had such a good time. Right. And they were like, we'll just stay here. Yeah. Fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. Ironically, if, if things had been clogged up, then the leak might not have happened. Oh. But anyway, um, the oh. embarkation of the pilgrims. Tyler Small. So where, where is it depicted, this painting? Never heard of this painting before. Uh, it's it could be now. in Delft. It could be in Plymouth Rock. It could be... At Westminster. That's my guess. So it's on something very small. It's on the reverse of the $10,000 bill issued mm. in 1918, of which there are only five known to be in existence. That was going to be my next guess. Surely Bezos has <laughs> at least <laughs> two. I didn't expect you to know the answer. Come on, they've got more billionaires in that country. Surely it's more of them. So another question related to this day, what was the first English colony in North America and when was it established? Was it Virginia? Roanoke? No, that's too early. Never mind, forget I said that. that was a I want to say Jamestown. Yeah. Jamestown was the first permanent colony in what is now the United States settled in 1607. Oh, wait, wait, wait. what was the question? Sorry, again, the what was the first English colony in oh, North English. America? Okay. Yeah. But Sorry, hang on, 1607, it was British by then. James was. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, I know. I was wondering if maybe it was Daria and it was a trick question, but ah, it's not. Okay. okay, so it could be argued that the first colony was established when Sir Humphrey Gilbert landed on Newfoundland on what is now St. John's on 3rd of August, 1583. That's okay. the wrong date. I don't know, I'm going to come to it. Like so so what, had, what had led to this expedition? I'm going to say a family tiff now. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> always. Get out <laughs> and don't come back till you've found so, a land. So why was why was he over there? Basically? Was he an insult, maybe? Yeah, so English. He was kicked out of Iceland yeah. for being in Southern <laughs> 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 In search of pussy. Um, no, sorry. <laughs> is that not where we all travel? That's what we all travel for. <laughs> Tale as old as time. Uh, I have no idea. Yeah. So Spain had long since laid claim to much of South and Central America by the 1570s and 1580s. So Queen Elizabeth I, sorry about to the Scots here, but having uh, granted royal permission to Englishmen to colonise North America. Even then, Gilbert was by no means the first European to arrive at Newfoundland because Portuguese, French and Spanish had all been there in the previous 90 years or so. So we're a bit late to the show. Who was Sir Humphrey Gilbert? This, this first yeah. guy. Brother of Sir John Gilbert, uh, Uncle oh. Humphrey to me. <laughs> <laughs> was, he, was he a founding member of Gilbert and Sullivan? That would have been interesting, Some wouldn't kind it? Of yeah. Yeah. When they did Who Do You Think They Are? The yeah, yeah, yeah. Gilbert, of Gilbert and Sullivan, yeah. they found out. So, so he was actually an MP uh, for Plymouth and then Queen Britain Kent. He was also a soldier, adventurer and explorer. Back in the day when it was okay for an MP to have a second job. Yes. And, 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 be, and be away for months. And, yeah. yes. and possibly not come back as we find out. His Latin mottos were said to be quid non. Why not? Okay. And mutare vel timere sperno. I scorn to change or to fear. 
So the first one was the same as, what's his name, Barry Norman. Why not? Well, I haven't um, thought that. Yeah, like, <laughs> the Barry so Norman of the house. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> literally, literally like YOLO. Carpe the old DM. Yeah. <laughs> so when you say about his brother, actually his half brother was Sir Walter Raleigh. <gasps> oh. Oh. How did he get that job? No, laying a cape out for the Queen to stand oh, okay. on. I know nothing. I I just, I'm just being quiet because I'm like, <laughs> my I know knowledge of, this, of uh, Icelandic uh, history is a yeah, yeah, that's an Icelandic Have you guys heard about the Cod yeah. War? Everything <laughs> 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 has to come back to Iceland. So, Sir Humphrey Gilbert had led three su unsuccessful attempts to establish a colony in America to the extent that Elizabeth doubted his seafaring abilities and was promptly lost at sea while returning home from the trip. And that's how Sir Walter Raleigh became famous because he basically had the rights from Gilbert transferred over to him and he inherited the land uh, that Gilbert would have had. Conscious of time, so I'll leave that a bit there and I'll move straight on to yourself, Louise, if that's okay, yeah, for your sure. on this day topic. Thank you. Uh, hello, I'm doing on the 5th of August 1962, uh, Nelson Mandela was locked up in Robben Island for being a terrorist, which shows you uh, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. And I have a personal connection. Uh, because my friend once nearly met Nelson Mandela. Um, which is like that time my brother was nearly a handsome prince. And uh, at that time I told Mark, nearly told Mark Owen from Take That, uh, that he was small, which he already knew. Um, and when I say nearly, uh, what I mean is I said, isn't he diminutive? Really loudly within his earshot. Um, Nelson Mandela was the founder of the, was the leader of the ANC, uh, which is what we call my friend Annette. ANC stands for Annette Not Coping. <laughs> Free Nelson Mandela. With every purchase of head and shoulders champagne. <laughs> That's a song by the specials, uh, which are pan fried tuna on a bed of leafy greens, <laughs> macaroni cheese, and breaded haddock with triple fried chips. <laughs> Robben Island is a great name for a prison. There are also prisons called Fraud Peninsula, <laughs> Extorten Mountain, and Committing Sexual Assault Archipelago. <laughs> Nelson Mandela was called Madiba in South Africa. Um, I know this because a South African friend once sent me a fridge magnet that was a dress-up Nelson Mandela. Um, <laughs> had it by my desk and there was a speech bubble on it that said Madiba says and then you could write in it things like head and shoulders is the best Android treatment money can buy. Uh, once Nelson Mandela's trousers went missing and I sent a company-wide email that said re Nelson Mandela's trousers and then they are missing please return please return them to my desk on floor three brackets marketing. <laughs> Nelson Mandela was like Piglet married to someone called Winnie. Uh, Nelson Mandela, while he was in Robben Island, did a lot of reading and he learned to embrace non-violent protest. So now South Africa has absolutely no violence and racism is fixed. <laughs> <laughs> Nelson Mandela used his non-violent communications to end apartheid in South Africa. So those awful signs that they used to have on benches saying blacks only, coloreds only, whites only, have been consigned to the place where they really belong, my laundry room. <laughs> I'm old enough to remember his release, uh, which means I'm old enough to know better than to have two margaritas on an empty stomach before doing this gig. <laughs> Nelson Mandela once met the Spice Girls, Victoria, 
Emma, Mel C, Mel B, and Jerry, who I once nearly called a Tory cunt, uh, by which I mean I walked up to her in the street and bellowed it in her face. <laughs> when, when I was at university, when I arrived at university, the Union Bar was called the Nelson Mandela Bar. Uh, but uh, in 1992, we voted to change its name to the Frankie Howard Bar, uh, which is like students of today renaming it as the Chandler Bing Bar, or the, you know, oh, I can't remember what Chandler Bing is. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, and, and I really think that's a sign of, of how sort of politically disconnected my generation were that we changed, when given the democratic opportunity to do so, we voted for the man off the telly with the funny hair. <laughs> and I'm really sorry, because that's why we are where we are, isn't it? Uh, so that's it, that's enough for me, isn't it? Surely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, if you were like, I have a personal connection to him going to jail, I was like, where's this going? <laughs> Can I just question what you said about Winnie the Pooh being married to Piglet? I mean, a lot of people question that relationship. Right, okay. yeah, 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 we weren't going there. I was just nodding when you said, yeah, 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 married, yeah, you know. Right. Always trying to keep him off the honey. Right, my second segue piece then. So, questions to the panel. When do you think the first cinema was opened in the UK? 1911. Sorry, not Iceland. Is there any question that's Iceland-based? Uh, no, not, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. When we do the Icelandic <laughs> festival, we'll, we'll <laughs> suffer the equivalent. The uh, first cinema in the UK? I'm uh, going so to say 1961. You can say, no, you that's can say 1961. There are no prizes for being I'm going to say... Is there no prices? No, sorry. Oh, God. I thought oh, I this was a competition. <laughs> yeah, right? Did you have a guess? I'm going to say, no, 1961 is too late. I'm going to say 32. 1932. I'm going to say 1896. Oh, you are closer. So it was 1901 on, on this day in 1901. Early cine films were shown in music halls, theatres, and even private homes. In fact, anywhere that had seats and suitable space. Cinema was seen as a novelty, but that all changed with the opening of dedicated cinemas. The days of music hall as popular entertainment were numbered as the first half of the 20th century came to be dominated by screenings in cinemas. Where do you think the first cinema was? It wasn't in Iceland? We're talking, I'm about, up, we're talking about the UK. Um. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I've been there really recently. Where have I been? Wales? Was it in Wales? <laughs> <laughs> so I shouldn't laugh. Uh, no. It wasn't on the front. Was it in Brixton? Oh, very much closer, yes. It was actually, sorry to say, it was in Is Islington. Oh, in so it was in London, yes. There was a Beaux Arts style agricultural hall which had been built in 1869, used as a concert hall before it became the base for the American Mohawk Minstrels show. On the 3rd of easy August. To imagine, no, no, <laughs> that's probably best not to. Yeah. <laughs> on the 3rd of August 1900, the theatre showed its first film. It's an Icelandic film. That's not right. It could be. Are Icelandic films like Swedish films? No, they're more sad. Oh, Everyone really? just sit in a kitchen, an old kitchen, and eats boiled cod and potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> that old man. That sounds great. Uh, and that's like a scene for 15 minutes. It's, it's magical. I recommend it. <laughs> um, sorry, wait, uh, can you repeat the question? Sorry. Oh, it's too late. I've already given you the answer. 
Have you? Right, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> because oh, it was oh, like, I, was, I thought that I had the plate, and then I was like, could you repeat one thing? And then yeah, the, it's, it's, it's now a waffly bit, I'm afraid. Okay. Yeah, no, this was right. No yeah, points the, for you. The um, 3rd of August 1900, the theatre showed its first film. Right, I thought that was a question. But the film shows were so successful that the building was dedicated solely to cinema, opening on this day 121 years ago. Silent films were accompanied by a piano and a 15-piece orchestra, known as the Phenobian. So, a uh, sort of quiz question now. What do you think was the average? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did they play the tuba? <laughs> 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 you're you're yeah. on form. Don't have a tuba. It was worth waiting for you to arrive. What do you think was the average weekly cinema attendance in Britain at the height of cinema's popularity, which was in the 1940s? So, how many people on average were going? On, uh, on in, in each show or no, no, on across a day? The, across the country as an average weekly attendance. Weekly attendance. All cinemas. Twenty-two million. In the UK. Forty-eight million. Oh, take an average of those two. Uh, Thirty million. Thirty million. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Right. It actually. Yeah. Yeah, it is thirty million. Yeah. Which is quite a figure when you think about it. Yeah. As a weekly attendance at cinemas. There was nothing else to do. <clears throat> I guess so. And it was the nineteen forties, <laughs> so that's probably. Largely that's true. It's 30, 30 million. That's more than the population yeah. of Scotland. Like that's like that's six, six times, times the population times, of Scotland. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Uh, when do you think that that first cinema closed, and, and what happened to it? Which is why I don't think you've actually seen it. Uh, <laughs> I think it was the 70s it burnt down because all cinemas burnt down in the yes. 70s. That was quite mm. popular at the time, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I remember yeah. the Regal in Forfar burning down. Yeah. yeah. So it closed in '63. It became a bingo hall. And this closed in 75, and the building was demolished in 1985. Oh, well, I still might have seen it. As so much of our history <laughs> ends up that way. So, straight up to you, Rasheen, please, for your piece. Thank you. Cool, yeah. So, my on this day in uh, 1600, James VI of Scotland might have been kidnapped. Um, <laughs> ooh. So, uh, a bit of context for James VI. So, he was the king that unified... Uh, Scotland and England, the crowns of them, into what would eventually become the United Kingdom of Great Britain, that we all know and that we all know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and some people like uh, a lot. And um, he was the son of Mary, Queen of Scots, right? Which means that he was the first Scottish king to be raised as a Protestant. Uh, now, this isn't like the fun English Protestantism, which is just about the king being a big shagger. Uh, this is. You know, Scottish Presbyterian, like proper wrath of God. God hates you. You're going to live your life, toil in the fields, and then you're going to die. You're probably going to go to hell. And it's because of the Catholics, right? That's, that's, <laughs> the, sorry, that's the whole kind of mindset. And um, it's not just because of the Catholics. It's because of anyone who is ostentatious, anyone who shows off their wealth. That's why God hates us. And uh, that makes it quite awkward to be a Presbyterian king because showing off your wealth is kind of the whole fun. Um, so, in the year 1600, uh, 5th of August, James VI is uh, on a hunting trip around Perth uh, with some of his, you know, royal people that follow him around, basically, his entourage. And he's approached by a man named William Ruffin. Now, just to give some context, William Ruffin's father used to be the treasurer of Scotland, and when James was 15 years old, he kidnapped him uh, with some other Scottish nobles, and they held him captive for 10 months made him introduce uh, pro-Protestant laws, and uh, they also forced his lover, a man named Esme Stewart, to go to France, where he died. Uh, when James eventually managed to escape, he had him put to death by, by beheading. So there's some history here, right? There's a bit of trauma. Uh, so now this man's son, also called William, 
he goes to James and he tells him that he and his brother at their nearby house have accosted a foreigner with some gold and he thinks the king should come and interrogate him. And the king's like, that's not my job. And uh, William Ruthven's like, well, you know, we think that he might be going to give this gold to Catholics. And James is like, Catholics, you say? Uh, I'd better go and check it out. Um, and William's like, okay, but don't bring as few people as possible and don't tell them why you're coming. So this is already pretty suspicious, <laughs> right? Uh, but the king goes, he turns up at the Ruthven's house and the older brother, John Ruthven, he is so surprised to see him. He did not expect him to come, which is weird because allegedly he invited him. So he's rushing around trying to organize a feast in an hour for the king and uh, his entourage, which is about 10 to 15 people. Meanwhile, William says to the king, okay, we're gonna go upstairs and see this foreigner. Don't tell anyone why we're going upstairs. The king's like, sounds safe. Um, so according to the king, as they're going to the place where the, the man is, as they go through, they go through two bedchambers and every time they go through a bedchamber, William Ruffin locks the door behind him. And the king's just like, cool, <laughs> this is fine. Uh, they get to the tower room where this man allegedly is and of course there is no foreigner there. Um, William Ruffin pulls out a knife and he's saying like, oh, you killed my father. And he says to him, you know, if you open the window and shout down to your entourage, I'm going to kill you. But if you keep quiet, it's all going to be okay. And uh, there's a guard on the door as well. So William Ruffin goes back downstairs. The king said to the guard, like, I, you need to help me get out of here. And the guard's like, I'm going to be honest. I didn't know that we were going to kidnap the king today. <laughs> I'm so stressed out right now. Like, I'm not, I'm in way over my head, man. Like, I was not expecting this. If you want to open the window, that's fine. I'm not going to stop you. So he opens the window. He starts shouting down to people like treason, treason. At this point, William Ruthven comes back in. He starts fighting with the king. And um, his entourage run upstairs. I'd like to say that they forced their way into the room. In reality, they knocked on the door and the guard just opened the door for them. <laughs> like, just like, on you go. Um, so in the struggle, William Ruthven is killed. His body falls down the stairs where it lands at the feet of his brother. His brother obviously runs upstairs and in the ensuing struggle, he is also killed. Um, now, this story does not make any sense. Uh, you might already be thinking, like, why go with William Ruffin? Why not tell his entourage why they were going there? Why not be suspicious when he's locking the door behind them? Scottish government felt the same, so they held an inquiry into it to find out what happened. But the only evidence that they have is eyewitness testimony and all the eyewitnesses are James VI and all of his friends. <laughs> so in the end, they just had to be like, I, I guess you're telling the truth because we can't say that you're not. Uh, it's also worth saying that James VI uh, actually owned the Ruffin family about £80,000 uh, because their father used to be treasurer. Um, so for this reason, a lot of people think maybe the king made up the story. On the flip side, the story, why would that be the lie that you make up? Like, he doesn't come out of this story well. He looks like a complete idiot. Um, and I think the one thing, I personally, you know, we're never going to know. Uh, I don't know which one is more likely. I think that both people who criticize, like the people that criticize either explanation are forgetting the really crucial thing, which is James VI, like all kings, just kind of stupid. <laughs> like you just have to be a little bit stupid to be a monarch because it no offense to any monarchists in here but like 
to be intelligent requires a bit of self-awareness and if you have self-awareness you can't really be the king because you have to be aware of your own uh, humanity um, and yeah that's something that might have happened today and maybe not also thank you but two men died so oh, that happens yeah. that's very interesting thank you very much you're very welcome I love the idea that the king was really bad at lying because that's, yeah. that's definitely something that's come down the line. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess if you never had to have a single consequence of your actions, <laughs> yeah. it's going we are being squeezed for time. We'll come to what's meant to be the second half of the show where we uncover some of the history of Edinburgh. As our venue today is Surgeon's Hall, it seems only mm -hmm. fitting to explore some of the history of surgery in the city. The Murder Act of 1752 stipulated that only the corpses of executed murderers could be used for dissection. But, question to the panel, when was the first legal dissection carried out in Scotland? Somehow, weirdly, before 1752. 1702. Yeah. yeah. For the first legal dissection. Scottish law allowed for the purposes of anatomical research the dissection of bodies in cases where the individual had died in prison or committed suicide. Mm -hmm. So, uh, this is going to be a different question then. So, what do we know about the first person to be dissected? Not a lot, I guess, then. Yeah. Shall I tell you about him? Mm, yeah. So, yes. Really so, he was enough. called David Miles. He was executed on 27th November for incest. His sister bore his child, and the village found the corpse on the midden heap. Even though they claimed it was dead at birth, the, the bloke was done and hanged, so was his sister, and authorised to be dissected. Was but the sister also dissected? Um, oh, it's just a woman um, in history, no one cares. Well, I don't know. Why she would they might bother? be the second one. I don't know. Why don't would know. they bother? Too many questions. Her. We'll look her up. Yeah. We'll look her up. But no one had carried a corpse legally from the gallows to the cutting tables before, so who got the gig to carry the body? What sort of people might? Uh, that William guy from the story earlier. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Gravedigger. The Pope. Pope Harbors. Nice one. Mm, that's actually a good guess. It was actually chimney sweeps. <laughs> they okay. were already grubbing but not before whinging about the cost of the lead weights to hold the cloth down over the corpse as they moved it through the city in a seemly manner. <laughs> Bearing in mind that half the city had already turned up to watch the execution, it seems odd to get concerned about propriety afterwards. How long do you think the dissection took? 20 hours. 20 hours. Yeah. I reckon they wouldn't have been mucked about, would they? Because they didn't exactly have refrigeration. This is true. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm going to say five hours. Mm. I mean, long so enough for Rembrandt to paint a picture of it. Um, <laughs> cultured people right. is. Now, this, <laughs> this is where you've, uh, with uh, any weak stomachs, I'm afraid you're going to have to hold on. So it took nine days. <laughs> Different medical men from the Royal College of Surgeons demonstrated upon it each day. They began with a general discourse of the body before moving on to an inspection of key organs such as the stomach, intestines, liver, kidneys, parts of generation, the brain, and finally the muscles of the extremities and the resulting skeleton. So what I'm hearing is 20 <coughs> hours stretched over nine days. It yeah, was stretched over nine days. days. Yeah. The dissecting room had an open wall at the back <coughs> to keep the body cool, but even with that, by the end, there was just virtually nothing left anyway, just hands and yeah. feet. I mean, the refrigerator was actually invented in like the 1700s. 
How was it? Yeah. Okay. They had pantries and things. They, they had the rice houses. And yeah. This was done. Last year we had the date. Did I say November? Anyway, we'll one. move on. The Scottish Enlightenment in the early 19th century saw Sir James Young Simpson discover chloroform anaesthesia and Dr Joseph Lister pioneer the use of antiseptic during surgery. But who was Dr Robert Knox? I, oh, uh, he bought the bodies from Birkin Hare. Yeah, he did, didn't he? I'm a bit, this, I used to run yeah. a medical tour of Edinburgh, so this yeah, is yeah. a little bit unfair. So why, why, no, it's fine. So why was he buying bodies? Uh, to operate on. Um, they weren't allowed to use the prisoners anymore. Um, I think maybe they had to be, or maybe they were, basically there wasn't enough bodies. Yeah, wasn't he teaching students or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a, yeah. he was a lecturer and yeah. so they were using it for the anatomy lectures yeah. um, and they didn't have enough bodies for all of the lectures and Edinburgh was the best medical school in the world basically. So they need to keep up that reputation and hmm. um, so that's why they were buying bodies from Birkenhead. Yeah, a few facts about his background. He was actually described as a bully at school who thrashed his contemporaries. He failed his anatomy exam at university, had to retake it. And also he attended to the wounded from the Battle of Waterloo in 1814 after he graduated. But by 1822 he was a key force in establishing a museum of anatomy and pathology at the College of Surgeons. Um, Knox became fellow of the Royal Society of Edinburgh, during which time he was involved in setting up a major anatomical school. And his gory lectures were famed, and uh, he and his colleagues were dissecting these bodies as part of their research. Do we think he was perhaps a sociopath? <laughs> Sounds like it, yeah. He, yes, he enjoyed cutting up bodies. I don't know if that's mm. a normal thing, but uh, Knox was apparently obsessed with men's head sizes. So he measured the head of men in Glasgow and Edinburgh and discovered that Glasgow men had bigger hat sizes. Oh. What did he interpret this to mean? Stupid. <laughs> Thicker skulls. Stupid. No, no other way around. Like I would, I would assume that he would be like, oh, because the Glasgow people are working yeah. class yeah. and dumb and they've got like a big forehead, which means that they're thugs. Yeah, they, needed, they needed bigger space for all that kind of engineering stuff, but the Edinburgh brains were much more refined and so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were tidier and like folded away with all the knowledge. Even more, he was actually racially hostile to the Highland Scots, Welsh people, and especially to Irish Celts, openly advocating their ethnic cleansing at the time of the Great Famine. Thank goodness so things have changed you, know, so you, might, you might have been on something there, Bea, I think, when yeah. you were saying about... So the Judgment of Death Act of 1823 de decreased the number of sentences punishable by death and that's what led to this um, shortage of bodies for dissection just as the teaching methods were requiring more of them. So uh, uh, apparently a ratio of about one per, uh, cadaver per student was required. Cadaver. I always think cadaver sounds weird, it should be cadaver, but I that's even more weird. I think it's you say cadaver. I say cadaver. Get out. Um, so what happened when the supply of bodies could no longer keep up with demands? What happened in Edinburgh? Are you, are you grave digging. Yes. Ah, uh, yeah, grave robbing. And yeah. that's why you have the mort safes around. Uh, exactly. Like, was yes. that like your next question? It could have been. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, grave. So if you go around the graveyards in Edinburgh, you will see cages down on the ground, yeah. and these are to prevent grave robbers. And what? what in 1994, what? I was in a production of uh, Hare and Burke at the Fringe, and I had to be. I was a dead body. <gasps> Wow, you had the body. best part. I was a dead body. The acting involved in that. I know. Do you know what? When the fireworks, <laughs> we were in Greyfriars Kirkyard, when the fireworks went off in the castle, oh. it was quite hard <laughs> just to lie still, yes. <laughs> to speak first. The rich families tried to stop relatives being exhumed, so mort safes was one. What else did they try to do to stop the bodies? Did they do the bells? No, that, yeah. was, that was cholera later. 
Oh yeah, when they weren't necessarily dead. Yeah. Mm. There was a, there was watchtowers. Watchtowers is another one, yes. Built in the same. Wasn't there like tombs where they put them for the first few days? That until was they saves. were Oh, was that yeah. that okay, yeah. Because the um, dissectionist obviously wanted fresh bodies. Yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah. Well, um, until day eight of... Yes, yeah, well, yeah. yes, not very fresh then. Rich families also purchased heavy stone slabs to be laid over family graves, so I guess made it harder to, to rob them. Incidentally, Americans who experienced something similar later in the 1800s came up with some, well, suitably American solutions. So Philip Clover patented the coffin torpedo. Yes. <laughs> in 1878, which would fire out a lethal blast of lead balls when the lid of a coffin was prized open. Oh, and Thomas Howell patented a shell buried under the coffin and wires so that thieves triggering it would effectively set off a landmine. <laughs> didn't, he also, didn't he also invent the game Mousetrap? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Probably, yes. <laughs> For a minute I thought you said the gay mouse trap. Yeah, I don't yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, So one advertisement for the Howell torpedo read, Sleep well, sweet angel. Let no fears of ghouls disturb thy rest. For above thy shrouded form lies a torpedo, ready to make minced meat of anyone who attempts to convey you to the pickling vat. Because <laughs> they would have pickled the bodies. Yes. Right. Is this not a problem like now for them when they're like doing excavation work mm -hmm. and stuff in oh. cemeteries? I hadn't thought of that. And someone goes, oh, that's yeah. a bit yeah. like with finding uh, World War One mines and so on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so the moral of that story is don't go around exhuming bodies in cemeteries. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll stop. Oh. Yeah, you really should stop. <laughs> so it's too <laughs> dangerous. It's too <laughs> dangerous. Any of the fun Anyway, back in Edinburgh in 1827, William Hare was owed four pound in rent by a fellow lodger, an army pensioner named Old Donald, when he died. So one of Knox's students gave Hare a tip-off that he would be well paid if he delivered the corpse to Knox, which he did, and he received seven pound and ten shillings. That's better than my bucket takings from today. You should come to a show where there's a, where there's a large audience. Um, come to show get a free body with a fiber. Yeah. <laughs> Tuck it under my arm. Uh, I, I'm very conscious of time because I don't want to be breathed on by the stuff. Do you want to tell us a bit about Broken Hair, what you know from your time? Would that be better than me asking questions? I don't mind. For um, just for a couple of minutes. That's um, the I don't, I mean... No, I see. Uh, yeah. It's just because like I was largely doing it as ghost tours, and uh, we were um, economical with the trip. Oh. <laughs> well, that's, that's what this show's about, really. Isn't it? Yeah. Well, tell you, uh, do, do you know what happened to Burke's skeleton? Yes, I do. Yes, yeah, so you can tell us about that. Maybe. So his skeleton yeah. is actually. Um, so when they were arrested, um, basically they so once they worked out, once they found that they could make more money from selling bodies, they started making their own bodies. Uh, so they killed about sixteen people. Um, just as a side note there, and B will back me up on this as well, there is, there is actually a uh, Birkenhair strip club in yeah. Edinburgh. <laughs> like just named after it, like, name of a strip club like Ted Bundy. Like it's, it's literally, <laughs> so strange, yeah. it's insane. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they, they killed about 16 people and it was largely um, kind of vagrants, people living on the street, like, no, like people that like, if they disappeared, people would just kind of not really question it too much. Um, and the final one was a woman named Mary Doherty, um, who uh, essentially I think two of her friends, basically they just got a bit sloppy and two of her friends realised that she had been last seen with them um, and that's how they got caught. And William Burke actually turned King's evidence, that means that he testified again, no sorry, William Hare 
turned King's evidence, uh, which meant that he testified against Burke, and that meant that he didn't get executed. He, I think he just had to do like community service, essentially, and then he got off. Yeah. 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 Uh, so he pinned it all on William Burke. And, he had uh, to run away to like another country or something. I think he ended he? up in Ireland, he, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. No, he, was, he, he was on the way to Dumfries and was recognised in oh, the, in, yeah, in in the, the stagecoach. Yeah. And so the police had to whisk him away in the dead of yeah. night and they set him off on the road to, uh, near Annan, so he mm. head to England, and that was the last that anyone heard of him. Yeah. He just disappeared mysteriously. So. But um, William Burke, when he was executed, um, his body was given to the medical school. It was used in autopsies, and um, I think it was watched by like forty thousand people, something ridiculous. Uh, and they, so his skeleton is actually still on display at the University of Edinburgh. So you can, I've seen it; like it's still got some of the teeth in there. Um, and they also used his skin to make uh, to bind books and uh, make little purses. And I think I've heard that you can see one in the witchery place on Victoria There Street. is some stuff of his corpse in the Surgeon's Hall Museum. Yeah. Uh, there's at least like a cast of is the body. Oh, yeah, yeah. they used to take cast of people's faces. I was told that his skin was used for a notebook. Uh, yeah. and, and then Susan Morrison, another comedian, told me that other parts of his skin from his arse, basically, okay. were used to make something else, which I just find really bizarre. Hey, something else. It is, isn't it? That's thinking, why would you even... What, mm. what, what else? Do you think well, maybe the arse skin is just really good <coughs> for that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I like that shape and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Stretchy. Lots of collagen. I can't believe it's cost, it's cost a five already. So I'm afraid, I, it, because the time's up, um, I'd just like to say thank you for uh, our guest today. So that's B. Babylon's Louise Lee and Rasheen Kenny. Thank you very much. Festival Fringe and the Space at Surgeons Hall for hosting <coughs> us today. The next show will be tomorrow here, same space at 15.55 and I'll just briefly end on another On This Day piece which is that 60 years ago today, American actress, singer and model Norma Jean Mortensen, better known as Marilyn Monroe, was found dead. It was in the early hours of the 5th of August 1962 and here are three quotes from her to end the show with. So, number one, we are all stars but we must learn how to shine. Number two, we should all start to live before we get too old. And number three, if I'd observed all the rules, I'd never got anywhere. But the wow. rules of the venue are that we must close the show. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. I was just saying, what yeah. a lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for coming. Thank you.